the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, it's Hugh Hewitt. Welcome to the interview with Hugh Hewitt, sponsored by AndrewandTodd.com. Andrew and Todd are with Sierra Pacific Mortgage. They help you with all your real estate lending needs. If you're refinancing your home, if you're buying a new home, if you're a senior who wants a reverse mortgage, if you're a veteran who doesn't want to put any money down, whatever it is, if you're in the private real estate market for yourself, and maybe you want an investment property, try AndrewandTodd.com or call 888-888-1172. Now on to the interview with Hugh Hewitt. The interview with Hugh Hewitt today, in the middle of all this darkness and bad news, I have a good news story. Kirk Herbstreit has published his memoir, a wonderful book called Out of the Pocket. I'm holding up my pre-publication copy right here. I've enjoyed it immensely in those times. I've been taking breaks from the terrible avalanche of bad news. Kirk Herbstreit has 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 just cheered me up like he did when he quarterbacked the Ohio State Buckeyes. Kirk, welcome to the show. It's good to have you on. Hey, Hugh. How are you, bud? I am great. Now, I am a Warren, Ohio boy. Didn't go to OSU. Went off to Harvard. But I watched you play quarterback. I was never much of a fan of John Cooper until I read your book. Now I admire him greatly. But you're talking to a lifelong Green Bay, uh, uh, Cleveland Browns season ticket holder. I got to tell you, you really, you're just Ohio through and through, and it comes out in your book. Well, I appreciate it. Um, you know, I, I, I was hesitant to write a book. I, I just never really thought uh, about that. Gene has approached me in the past. A bunch of people have approached me in the past, and everybody had a different idea of what we would do. You know, a lot of people just want to do a season of college football where they kind of follow me around and um, talk about college game day or the big games that I get a chance to call on on, uh, on ABC, you know, call national championships and Rose Bowls, which has been amazing. And that's part of this book. But as you said, it's more of a memoir, more of um, going back, uh, talking about my dad, who was, who was a big hero of mine. And, and um, you know, I was, I was living a very kind of the ideal family life in the 70s in the state of Ohio, <clears throat> playing in the backyard all the time. You know, there were three TV channels, no cable, no Internet, no computers, no video games. We were just outside playing, kind of like uh, the Sandlot was, was kind of, I think, how most of us lived in that era. And that that all came kind of crashing down for me when I was about eight years old. My parents got a divorce and, uh, you know, I ended up moving to eight different schools in nine years and a lot of stepmoms and stepdads and stepbrothers. And, and just as a shy, you know, very introverted kid, that was not the easiest thing to go through. So Gene uh, Wojciechowski, who co-authored the book with me, he, he thought it would be good to just kind of talk about my journey and, and open up, which is a hard thing for me to do. And um, and just just talk about some of the trials and tribulations. And, and I think he thought that it would resonate with a lot of folks out there based on some of the stuff I've been through. And now that we're done and we're talking to a lot of people, that's that's the hope. You hope that. Oh, it, it, it clearly will. Like out it. of the pocket, Good. clearly will. And I want to I want to focus in on a couple of things in particular. You're talking to a broadcaster of 30 years experience. And so, of course, I focused in on chapters nine and ten after you've put down the football and you're trying to make your way in life, 
you have to decide whether to become a wonderful medical sales rep. And there's a great career there and a lot of money in Ohio with a 401k and benefits, as you explain, or take 12k a year and go to 1460 WBNS, where Terry Smith is your Sherpa. You are not going to walk out of Ohio State, even as a starting quarterback for one year as a redshirted freshman who played five. You're not going to walk out and get an ESPN job. They didn't even exist, really, in those days, although you were helped by ESPN. You made that choice. So there are lots of people that talk to me all the time. How do you get to do what you do? You laid it out in two chapters. Tell people how you got from there to college game day less than five years later. Yeah, it's 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 very very unusual story. As you said, I was a business major at Ohio State marketing, and I, I like a lot of quarterbacks that played Ohio State. I had dreams of playing in the NFL, and when that was not a reality for me, I I wanted to move on. You know, I, I did not want to hang around play arena football or the World League. I, I wanted to close the chapter of my athletic career and, and move to the, whatever was next. And so. Larry Romanoff worked at the Ohio State uh, Athletic Department. He helps a, a lot of guys out, get interviews. And I went to a lot of interviews and ended up going to a second, third interviews. And these people uh, offered me jobs. And I thought conventional thinking that, hey, this is what you're supposed to do. You study business. You, you get a nice job that's stable and on with your life. Well, I just happened to float out the idea to a local radio station. Like you said, that, hey, I'm a former Buckeye. If you ever need any help, let me know. And a couple months later, they, they reached out to me. So they offered me a radio job, 5.30 to 7, and they told me they'd pay me $12,000. By the way, I had no idea what it would lead to. It wasn't like I was aspiring to be a broadcaster. I had no idea that I would eventually go to ESPN. I just thought, you know what? I grew up listening to talk radio, talking sports. Sounds like a really fun job. So I had to make a decision. Every person I talked to, my family, my friends, everybody, said, you got to go take this business job. Are you crazy? I mean, look at the money you can make and stability and your future, you know, forget talking sports for $12,000. You're not doing that. And I just kind of kept weighing my options. Then finally, I just, I kind of just went with my gut and I thought, I'm not ready to get out in the real world yet. I want to talk sports. I want to, you know, see what this is like. And I, I turned down those, those lucrative business opportunities to to do something that I had a passion for. And I learned a valuable lesson that day. America is happier for that. One of our regular listeners, by the way, I, I think it's a little late for him, is Urban Meyer. Coach Urban is a friend of the show, and, and we're on 400 different places, but we're on in Columbus right now. A lot of people want to know, though, uh, and I think you do a great job of this. Terry Smith is a guy you call out as your Sherpa at 1460. He didn't have to help you. He did. You call out Paul Moose Spawn at the uh, local TV station. Every single broadcaster in America has a Terry Smith and a Paul. Mine are named George Oliva and Martin Byrne. Everybody has people who give them help. Are you paying it forward, Kirk, now? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I probably like that part of the position that I've been in more than any. Um, I was just talking to a broadcaster at ESPN yesterday, and he, I did his radio show, and he got emotional talking about, why do you help me? Well, what, what, I mean, I, it's incredible what you've done for me, and he sent me a picture of his his college coach and a picture of me, the two people that have helped him the most in his life. And so when I when I get feedback like that, um, I, that's so much more rewarding than anything yes. I've ever done on the air, you know. So yeah, I'm without question always looking to to help people, always looking to try to help that next generation broadcaster in any way that I can. I, I feel like that's the least I can do. 
I also love the gratitude and out of the pocket. We, well, let's talk about Jack Arudi or Mo Davenport. He's legendary. I've never met him. He's a legend. <laughs> He's absolutely legendary. It'd be like talking to Rune Arledge, right? So you mentioned some yeah. of these people. I, I know everybody on my side of the business, news and politics, but you're talking about people. They're all very nice. They're all, I mean, Lee Corso, I want to. I want to, you know, take the guy to dinner or, and fly him to Hawaii or something. You did such a great job painting a portrait. Is everybody nice in your world? Uh, well, there's one one person I talked about in there wasn't the most friendly, um, but uh, everybody else, they, they, yeah, they're they're incredible. They, you know, the one thing I've been really lucky. I don't know how you feel about your career. You know, when you work with people that you like, you know, when you work with people that you go to dinner with, you know, when you work with people that you are just fond of. Um, I think it really comes across, especially studio television, when the camera's on you for three straight hours on national TV. 100%. I think the camera the camera can feel that. You know, the camera can uh, 100%. Sense, um, there, that, that you like each other. There are two kind of jobs in this world, those you get to go to and those you got to go to. I get to yeah. go to work and have for 30 years. You clearly do. But now let's talk a little bit about uh, Bob Gregg because, again, your wonderful Centerville coach, they're all over the country. They're unheralded heroes in lives of children who need help. And you did. Your family was difficult. I want people to read this who are in tough family situations because Kirk Herbstreet is proof that you can endure. And Bob Gregg's out there. You're doing. Tell people about Bob Gregg because they're they're like millions of them out there. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a very dysfunctional uh, upbringing. Um, You know, I I just as you said, I I endured. I was quiet. I held everything in. I didn't really talk to many people about what I was going through. I just kind of uh, held on. And I'm not acting as if my parents didn't love me. They did. But they were they were going through their own madness that they were dealing with. And I was just kind of along for the ride. And I think a lot of people out there can relate to that, whether they're going through that themselves as, you know, as an adult and when they have kids or well, they went through it when they were younger. Anybody who's been through it uh, can relate. So I went through that, and, and my high school years changed me immensely. My high school coach was a former Marine. Um, he was, I don't want to say a Bobby Knight, but he was that type of a coach. It was his way or the highway. And uh, he did some things to us that we didn't agree with uh, when we were 16, 17, and 18. We didn't understand how tough he was and why he was doing it. And then we became 22, 25, 28, 30. We became, we all got married. We all had kids and we all look back at our coach as like he saved our lives. He, he was a game changer. And, and I think my concern right now for our country is I, I hope that the Bob Greggs that are out there still get a chance to be difference makers in, in young, uh, young kids' lives because uh, I feel right now there have been so many bad stories about coaches and, and they're too tough and they're, they do things that are unspeakable and thinkable. And it's, it's not fair to the young children of today that, um, you know, and obviously when a coach does cross the line, that's, that's unacceptable uh, in, in every way, but tough love and being tough on kids. Um, I, I, I'm, you know, going through it. I, I, I would do it again. You know, you've got four boys. Two of them who yeah. play for Clemson opening the book with that story is, by the way, a, a brilliant little move. But I, I want to talk specifically about coaches because Brad McCoy's been on this program, Colt McCoy's dad, and he speaks for coaches everywhere. And you do, too. In a country with a crisis of fathering, 
And you had to put up with part of it. Your dad's a good dad. He's kind of a nerd. You pointed out. But the boys liked him. Yeah. He showed up. He, they made it work. That was a strange relationship when you were in high school. People need to read about it. They made it work for you. But a lot of coaches have to be that dad now. And I don't know if we're allowing them to be that dad. Well, uh, in a college football, we've, we've added this transfer portal. So as soon as things get tough, a lot of these kids leave. You know, as soon as they don't get the starting job, they leave. And they're allowed to go to another school and immediately be eligible. And so we're almost encouraging a generation of athletes. And I'm not saying that sometimes it doesn't make sense. But just because things don't go your way or just because things are hard doesn't mean it's time to quit. It doesn't mean it's time to leave. Um, and so I do worry uh, about this generation of athletes. And I think it's us as parents that are so concerned with, you know, the, the tough coach, uh, geez, we don't have, we don't have any room for that tough coach anymore. That, you know, it's, it's, this everybody gets a trophy mentality that, uh, that I think has been permeating for the last 15 or 20 years. And I think you, you worry about the kids because that that's not always easy to go through. I just talked about that when you go through dealing with a tough coach, but I tell you, I, I, it can it can help you in so many ways down the road. And that, really the sport of football, um, you know, people that don't know about the game or don't appreciate the game maybe would know this, but uh, not just tough coaching, but learning how to be a great teammate, uh, learning to get knocked down and, and get back up, learning about perseverance, uh, all these incredible things, work ethic. That's the, that's the secret sauce of football. If you're in a good program with a good coach and a good culture, that's what makes the sport. It's not the wins and the championship. Of course, that's fun, and we all love to watch that. But if you're really in a good situation, it can help you in, in so many ways in life as a parent, as a husband, as an employee, whatever you end up doing, you, you rely on those values that you learned as a player. I'm pretty sure, Kirk Herbstreet, that you are talking with the least coordinated person you will talk to in the course of your book tour. So I want to say that secret sauce also works in every other profession and calling. I am astonished at your perseverance. And by the way, you just anticipated a question that's on my board. You described preparing the board for your audition at ESPN. And my buddy Guy Benson, who's also a national talk show host, Fox guy, he did sports before he did politics, and he, he told me a little bit about calling games and the boards and the stuff. He did every Northwestern game for four years for free. It's hard. You got to work. But one of my board questions for you was, has the transfer portal made it impossible for Kirk Herbstreet to emerge as a starter in their fifth year? Because, by God, I can't imagine anyone making your five-year journey and getting under center against Michigan under the current rules. I know it's it's very very strange. Most most quarterbacks, and really the most quarterback dads, that that's become the thing. Is the, the a lot of the dads of the high profile high school quarterbacks are dads slash agents, <clears throat> and so when they their quarterback son doesn't start right away or doesn't look like he has a clear path to become the guy, they're gone. You know they they, they pick up and, and head out to another school. So you're, you're, it's very very rare to see a guy as you said. I, I had. I had I really struggled. I was an option quarterback. I went into an Ohio State offense. It was a West Coast West Coast uh, kind of a drop back pocket quarterback, and I had to learn that. And it was hard. And it was I, I and I was no different than everybody else. I wanted to quit. I wanted to go play baseball. It, it, three years of of agony is is uh, is difficult when you're a five star can't miss prospect. And and I had support from my teammates, my family. Um, I had, I went and saw sports psychologists, you know, to kind of help me through, which was unheard of back in 1990. I had to look over my shoulder, make sure nobody 
was looking as I walked into his office, and he became <clears throat> he became a game changer for me. And in, in oh, it's an positive. episode out of Ted Lasso. I just think it's wonderful that you just, you discuss the doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you saw him, you would you would really uh, enjoy it that much more. He had kind of a a big fro and and big bushy white. Uh, he looked like a mad scientist, you know, big huh. bushy white eyebrows. He, he was hilarious. And just, uh, man, exactly what I needed. I would encourage people. What's great about seeing a guy like that for me was he didn't have an agenda. You know, if you talk to a family member or you talk to a friend, sometimes they want you to do a certain thing. So they kind of they kind of steer you that way with their advice. When you talk to a psychologist, for me, it was just this guy has no dog in a fight. Like, he's just listening and offering suggestions and, and offering some input that, that uh, doesn't have that agenda. And that's why I just really always look forward to, to going to talk to him. The other thing is he listened. You know, my dad was, that was the one thing with my dad and I in our relationship. He never really listened. He heard, but he didn't listen to me. And, and that probably impacted me the most in, in trying to, you know, the last thing I have is all the answers as a dad. But one of the things, because of the pain that that caused me, was I, I wanted to hear my kids. I wanted to listen when they talk. You know, if I'm in the middle of work and they say something, I'm turning to them. I'm hearing them. I'm making eye contact. I never want them to feel like dad's doing work again or dad's in another world. Uh, I think it's so important to be there for our kids and, and to listen what the, to what they have to say because uh, that, that can be a, a really tough scar to deal with for the rest of your life. I'm talking to Kirk Herbstreit about his brand new book, Out of the Pocket. I'm holding it here if you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening to the podcast or the replay on the radio show. I got to say, I, I want to salute your teammates, Joey Galloway and Eddie George, for making a demo tape with you. They're great Buckeyes. I'm not surprised, but that's a pretty great story. The uh, The Sandy Beach story is a great story because I was the other guy, the guy who was smart enough not to get into the water at Sandy Beach from my pal, a young lawyer. Two <laughs> two hoolies from the mainland show up. He said, I'm going by. He said, I'm not getting in there. That's called, well, it's a funny story. <laughs> but let's talk about Urban Meyer. For, I told you, Coach Meyer's a friend. And on pages 258 to 259, you don't resolve. You set up, but you don't resolve the bulletin board story. And so he kind of grabbed and made up Kirk Herbstreit quote to motivate the Buckeyes, or maybe it was the Gators at that point. Gators. Gators. So did you ever talk to him about that? And did he just say, well, you know, it's a part of the coaching stuff? Yeah, yeah, of course I talked to him about it (laughs) years later. And, and, you know, keep in mind, when I was a high school recruit, he was the GA for Earl Bruce. And so when I would come up to Ohio State, he was one of those GAs that would kind of be assigned to me. And, and a lot of times, you know, I, he would just, he and I would hang out. He was a young guy. And so I've known him forever and, and followed his career as an assistant coach and, and eventually becoming a head coach and, and obviously had a Hall of Fame career. So I, I know him well enough that I can, I can kind of talk to him real. And when he did that, I was because that year it was 06, Ohio State beat Michigan. It was the year the bow died the day before the game. Yeah. And Ohio State beat Michigan. It was number one against number two, and they beat him 41 38. And there was a big debate about who should be the team to play Ohio State in the national championship. And I said, hey, Michigan's number two. They go to Columbus and lose by three. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't? Why would Michigan drop in the polls? It, it didn't make sense to me. And, and then Urban, of course, was defending Florida and why they should go to the game. Florida ultimately went. And then the whole month leading up to the Ohio State-Florida game, when they played in the Fiesta Bowl, uh, he, he took his team, and everywhere they would go, he would put quotes up all over the hotel room. And he, he started, you know, there were some strong quotes that I had made, but I never said anything bad about Florida. It was always positive towards Michigan. 
And he, he ended up, he, he would tell me later, yeah, just make up a quote and just, I don't know, put it, give it, make Herb Street, just put it on Herb Street. <laughs> so these, these Florida, if you remember the Ohio State Florida National Championship, Florida showed up. Only thing they didn't bring out of the locker room were baseball bats. They were so mad when they took the field. And, and I, I was like, man, this Florida Gator team is fired up. And I found out all this stuff. And I went up to Urban after. I was like, dude, what are you doing? He's like, hey, <laughs> hey, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, I got to get my team ready to go. And he is by far, he and Nick Saban, the master motivators of getting 18 to 22-year-old kids to feel like they have a chip on their shoulder. They're mad at the world. And in that case, uh, Florida uh, was mad at me uh, as they got ready to play that. <laughs> I got to tell you, I share your assessment of his prospects for success. I'm a Browns fan. I'm a season ticket holder since '99, since the return, and my dad since '70, since '64. So I am a wow. a Browns wow. fan. But I will root for Urban Meyer because the guy is Buckeye. He's Ash to be my, my cousins taught him. I want to do two more things with you before you get away, and you've got a, a very busy. I want to thank you for dedicating the book to football dads and moms, sons and daughters. I got a a niece who's married to one of the lifers, Bill Reichel, who's the Miami, St. Thomas University in Miami head coach and AD. Oh, yeah. And they've yeah. moved around. They've probably moved around seven times in the coaching life. Now, it's not a military spouse. Yeah. I got military kids as well. But if yeah. you're going to marry a football coach, you are in for a lot of trouble. If you're going to have a football kid, and you, <laughs> you, start your li- you start your book out by saluting them. Uh, my hat's off yeah. to you, Kurt Herbstreit. Yeah, man. The, 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 the people that are in that lifestyle, um, and it really I think it cost my dad. My dad was a young assistant coach. I mean, imagine graduating as a captain at Ohio State and the next year. You're not a GA. You're coaching the secondary for Woody Hayes. And Bo Schembechler's on the staff. And my dad got in early, and he was down at Miami, Ohio, at the beginning of the cradle of coaches. And the, the wear and tear on my mom and, and the lifestyle, I think, was, was tough. And I think eventually – he had to get out of it because of that. So, yeah, I have a great appreciation for uh, the, the stress that it puts on these families, high school coaches, college coaches, the NFL. There's so much of a demand. And there, a lot of times these, these, these coaches, they're not always home. You know, they miss out on things. And so it puts a lot on the mom and a lot on the kids. So, yeah, that, that uh, just kind of a tip of the cap of, of gratitude and appreciation for what they go through. You also gave a tip of the cap to the Miami Redhawks. I'm a Miami Redhawk dad, all right? So my son, one of my sons went there, and I love the fact you called out what they did. But here's the other thing I really want to praise you for. When I got out of college, I went to work for Richard Nixon in exile in San Clemente in 1979, and very few people came to see him. Very few people. He was, he was disgraced and in exile. You know who came to see yeah. him? Woody Hayes came to see him. And I love Woody. Of course, I'm in Ohio, and I used to hear him every four years on that athletic banquet. It would be Bo, Woody, Eric Parsegian, and Joe Paterno. One of the four would show up in your town to recruit and give all the high school athletic banquets. I loved Woody Hayes. You do your job. You present him in the round. Well done. Well, I appreciate it. And in my family, he, he was uh, – keep in mind, I'm five or six years old. My dad, as a former captain and player, would take me after a game that we would go to. We didn't do it often, but every once in a while, he would take me underneath the concourse uh, to, to the southeast corner of the Ohio Stadium, and he would knock on this big, thick, old gray door. And I, I'm like, what, what are we doing here? And the door would open, and it'd be a guy in a red coat with a hat on, and he'd say, oh, hey, hey, hey Herbie, how you doing? And he'd say, hold on a second, let me make sure everything's good. And he, the door would close, he'd go in for about a minute or two, and then he'd come back. He'd open the door and say, come on in. 
And here I am, five, six years old. I'd walk in, and now I'm in the Ohio State locker room, just like that. I went from ordering a, a popcorn or a hot dog to they open this door, and now we're inside the locker room. And I'm walking around, and these football players are after a game, you know, getting uh, dressed to, to leave the stadium. And he, he brings me into a room, and there's Woody Hayes with his white short sleeve shirt, his red ties, black hat, his glasses. And my dad takes me in. And Woody sees me and he sits me on his lap and talks to me about the game. And I'm sitting there looking up through those glasses of Woody Hayes as a five or six year old, just in awe of, it was like Zeus was talking <laughs> to me, you know, I'm just like, what is happening? And then I go up these stairs and there's Archie Griffin who had won the Heisman trophy the year before and on his way to be the only two time Heisman trophy winner. And my dad is a former running back says Archie and he, my dad wore 45 too. He's like, this is my son. And, you know, I, I, I think I raised my hand. I was so in awe of Archie Griffin. And he's like, hey, here, here put my helmet on. And I put his helmet on. And I, so, you know, for, for me, uh, Woody Hayes will always be. I know, it, uh, unfortunately, obviously, everybody remembers what happened in the Clemson game at the end of his career. But for me, you know, Woody Hayes is always at, at a, just a different level of, of, uh, of appreciation for what he did to, for my family and, and uh, what he did for so many guys uh, throughout his career. Yeah, you know, Kirk, I got to ask you about that. I-, I can talk to presidents and prime ministers. I do in prime time and every day. I just talked to Leader McConnell before you came on about the disaster in Kabul. I can't talk to athletes very well because I'm a fan. Do people freeze up when they? Th- I mean, I, you know, Woody Hayes, he, sh- he walked into Ariane's office. I could have gone over. I, was a, I wasn't going to go talk to Woody. That's God, right? I, you know, I'm not going to. Do, do, do you run into that stuff? You know what? I, I, I don't with like. You know, the current coaches and the current players, but when I bump into an older, like when I would bump into Bo when he was an athletic director when I first got into broadcasting, or I bump into Keith Byers, for example, who was a former Ohio State running back. It's funny, I, I see these these players from my eyes as an 8, 9, 10, 11, yes. 12-year-old. And the guys that I see today are, you know, hey, what's up, Trevor Lawrence? Hey, Trevor, what's going You know, or whoever it is, That that's not as big of a deal. It's just your job. But man, when I see people that I looked up to when I was a kid. I'm, I'm still, even at my age, I'm, I'm in all good for you. Um, so yeah, I, I can well, that wonder yeah, comes sure. through. I'm going to close with yeah. a quote. This is from page 176. And to those would be broadcasters, this is the pitch that Kirk Herbstreet gave to Mo when they asked him, what do you bring to ESPN? What did I bring to ESPN's football table? I brought the experience of being a recent starting quarterback at one of college football legacy program. I brought my continuing connection with Ohio state and big 10 football. I bought a new look and perspective, not of a big-time star, but of someone who had had to work his way up the football ladder and broadcast ladder rung by rung. I might have been the five-star high school recruit, but I was the zero-star broadcast recruit. I brought a work ethic, teamwork, and the constant need to get better. Davenport's smirk began to disappear. You had a pitch ready, Kirk Herbstreet. I just want everyone who wants to either succeed in broadcast or sports to know they got to have a pitch ready. You got to have a pitch and you got to have a passion because I was a zero star. Like you got to, you got to understand if you watch TV and you watch football, Troy Aikman's on your TV, Tony Romo's on your TV, Chris Collinsworth, Howie Long, Terry Bradshaw, all these guys are on your TV. What do a lot of them have in common? Huge athletic careers. You know, they've won Super Bowls. They're MVPs. Like everybody knows them because of their playing days. Me. You don't know me from my playing days. And, and I, instead of hiding from that, I, I hit that head on and and um, was not embarrassed of, of that. I, I you know I'm going to be Bill Belichick. What kind of player was Bill Belichick? What kind of player was Nick Saban? I mean, some of the greatest minds in the game 
that coach and win championships. They, they, they weren't five-star players or five-star coaches when they got started. They had to start somewhere. And that was my, that was my motivation. I, I, I just, I wanted to outwork every single human being there was to go chase what I was going to go do. And, and I've been very thankful for the last 26 years that I've been living a dream. And oh, it comes through. I got one last note from one of my boys who said to thank you on draft night when we were very excited about Baker Mayfield and there were some naysayers. And by the way, he is our guy. They should sign him to the five-year extension. You spoke up for him. Does Baker remember that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. We're friends. And and I I got, you know, these high-profile guys I get to know because I come in. Imagine I'm calling a big Oklahoma game. We do a, a player production meeting the day before the game. And you know, when you do that time after time after time with some of these guys, you get to know them on a, on a personal level. And uh, Baker did some things that, that the media obviously jumped on. And, and I knew him as a person. I knew what kind of heart he had. And I just thought it was a perfect fit. He's a blue-collar guy. He's going to a blue-collar town, a city that loves football. Baker, nobody loves football more than Baker Mayfield. And so not only the athletic ability and the ability to make plays on the field, but I thought his personality would fit perfectly with the dog pound and the Browns and, and their history. So, I, and by the way, I think he's only scratching the surface. You know, I, I think uh, we'll see what happens this year. But I, if you like him already, just, just I, I think, hold on, because I think he's going to go to another level. This is the year. I mean, I, I, OK, cheat question. They gave me one more minute on your time. Kevin Stefanski is my kind of coach. He doesn't make much drama. There isn't. It's like the most boring press conference in the world, but it's not a dry blank wall like Belichick. No drama. It's called the quiet camp. I think they're go- this. I'm so excited. Of course, I'm a Browns fan, so I have to be excited about anything. But what do you think? <laughs> Browns going to the bowl all the way. I, I, they, they've got a great shot. I mean, they got to stay healthy. And, you know, you, you, the one thing about football is you can do whatever you want, whatever coach, whoever you are, you, but develop chemistry and to get a team to gel and believe you need to hit some adversity in the season and you need to come through it on the positive side because that, that's what builds a team to start to believe. How many times have you seen the Patriots lose a game in September or October and back in the day when Brady was there, it was like, they, they, man, what was going on there? They, how'd they lose that game? And yet they just kind of keep growing, keep building, and all of a sudden they get to November, December, and nobody can touch them. That, that's, that's what you have to hope as a Browns fan that that happens. And they have those moments where there's a game that could go this way or that way, and they have a, a couple games that go in the, in, a, in the direction where they win, and they find a way to win games. Now all of a sudden you've got a dangerous, a dangerous football team. So, yeah, on paper they look like they're, they're a team that can compete. But they're going to need some moments in the season that bring them together as a unit. And then that's when they could really go to, it. like I say, another level. Well, before we talk too much about Coach Belichick, who has got mixed reactions from Cleveland fans because of the departure and the exile. Let me say, Kirk Herbstreit, congratulations. Out of the pocket. It's a great, terrific read for a lot of different people. I enjoyed College Dame Day. I enjoyed our time today. Thanks for spending it with me. Thanks so much, Hugh. Great to talk to you. And uh, anytime you want to talk sports to get out of that uh, the world of politics and, and news, let me know. I'd love to do it. Well, this was terrific. And boy, the country needs it. Press on, my friend. Thank you. That concludes today's episode of The Interview with Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening. Make sure you come back and check out all the other podcasts on the Salem Podcast Network. And remember to thank our sponsors, andrewandtodd.com. If you believe in long-form interviews like I do, then do your real estate transactions with Andrew Del Rey and Todd Avakian. I've known both men for a long time, 
andrewandtodd.com. Go there, answer a couple of questions. They'll tell you what's best to do with your house or call them at 888-888-1172. You'll be glad you did and you'll be glad that you listened to the next episode of The Interview. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.